This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Flamethrowers. This week, we want to dedicate our show in memory of Tom Boykoff, great friend of the podcast and a super fan of Wisconsin women's basketball. Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast that, oh, about three and a half years, four years in, we hope you both want and need by this point. I'm Lindsay Gibbs. I'll be your host today. And joining me today, we've got Jessica Luther and my favorite Shireen Ahmed in Canada. Hi, YouTube. Morning. Hi, Lindsay. All right. So on this week's show, we're going to be talking all about drafts and whether or not we should get rid of them all together. Uh, the news peg this week is the NWSL draft. And if you want to hear more about what happened in the NWSL draft, we have a hot take between Shireen and Sandra Herrera that you must listen to. Uh, it's phenomenal and it will get you caught up on all the happenings for a very, very long virtual night. Um, but first of all, in other labor rights news this week, <laughs> we had James Harden, NBA player, going to the Brooklyn Nets from the Houston Rockets. And The Onion had a headline about it. The headline was, Underachieving 31 year old now following his dreams in Brooklyn. And I must have. <laughs> I, I laughed for so long uh, as somebody who spent most of her 20s in Brooklyn, um, <laughs> especially. <laughs> and so it just got me thinking do you two have a favorite Onion headline or just kind of parody headline in general? Because sometimes they're the only good thing in this world. Shereen? Yeah, I love. The Onion in Canada has its own version called the Beaverton. And I really appreciate satire, particularly when we're at a point where sometimes satire seems like real news and the most <laughs> credible headlines. So for me, I loved this question, Lindsay, and I ended up going down and found my personal favorite. Um, and if those of you don't know, the World Junior Hockey uh, Tournament happened not too long ago. It starts like around Christmas time and goes to early January. And we were on vacay, so you didn't hear about it. But my favorite headline for this was update, semicolon. Canadians realizing silver medal not worth help risk. So <laughs> I love this because we ended up losing to the U.S. And it was a brutal game. You guys like killed us, which is really fascinating. And there was so much introspection about this because Canada had gone into the tournament and had like an absolutely spotless record. And then we just failed spectacularly in the finals to the Americans, which is a whole other thing. But I loved it because there was so much kerfuffle about whether it was safe or not in Canada, arguably being a country that's trying to be proactive. Like they bubbled for this in Edmonton. And 
So now everyone's coming out. The joke was people are coming out saying we really shouldn't have allowed this. These are young boys. You did not care about the old, like the young boys back then. None of you cared. You just cared about the juniors. And like, so now like retrospectively, everyone's like, well, maybe we shouldn't have done that. The numbers are rising. Fuck you. Yeah. Long live the Beaverton. But if there had been a gold medal, there would have been zero of that is what you're saying. Nobody would have cared about the health. <laughs> Nobody would have cared about the danger to community and every exposure. The gold, right? The gold in hockey. Oh, that's great. Uh, Jess? Yeah, so I also love the onion so much. But I also love the reductress, which I just think is so good. I mean, I would just suggest like going to their Instagram and just reading through the headlines. And I had a really, really hard time as my co-hosts know, picking one headline. But this is the one that I went with. Woman taking break from anxiety to feel guilt for no reason. (laughs) I feel like personally attacked by that headline, (laughs) which is so true of so much of the reductress. I feel like they are in my head making me laugh at myself. So I just, oh, I just, the reductress gives me so much joy a lot of the time. Yeah, but sometimes, like you said, it can be too real. I think it was <laughs> when Jess was trying to figure out which one uh, she was going to do. She was reading some out loud. And the one that has really kept me up at night ever since was a woman who says she's bad at texting, actually bad at friendship. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I got to say, uh, it's... <laughs> It's like someone stripped me naked. Like, that's how I feel when you read that. It's just like, ow, ow, ow. Jess sent me one that was like, so me. I think it was you, Jess, was like, cat cat really angry at women that sings nonsensical songs. (laughs) All right. So as we mentioned, this week was the NWSL draft. And NWSL draft uh, week kind of opened up with some bad news for the league when the great Katarina Macario decided to forego the NWSL and being drafted uh, to sign with Lyon. And that kind of um, reignited the conversation around whether um, the NWSL can kind of still compete with European leagues as long as it has the draft and these up-and-coming players don't have the right to kind of pick where they want to go. And look, I have to say, I... I'm, look, I'm American. I'm very American-centric in all of my sports viewing. And it is, therefore, hard for me to fathom what pro sports look like without drafts. So this week, we're just going to kind of talk all about drafts. And I'm going to kind of be working through some of my feelings about them. Knowing at the root that they are pretty anti-labor, but also just kind of having them as this foundational point to how I view sports. So this will be a little bit therapy for me, but um, (laughs) I want to start. Jess, uh, can you give us a little bit of a history lesson? Like, why do we have drafts? (laughs) Yeah, why do we have drafts? I think this is such a... this is fun for me, Lindsay, because this is one of those things that I take for granted, that it just should, it just exists. And then as soon as you question it, like my brain explodes. Uh, so I went to look this up. I was like, why do we do this? And I looked at the NFL because that's arguably the biggest sort of spectacle of draft that we have at this point. Weren't they going to have it in Vegas, like on the water and they were going to like bring them in on boats and stuff, but <laughs> then it got canceled because of COVID. Like the level of spectacle at the NFL is humongous. So I went back to look the NFL 
It got started in 1920. That's where the origins are. And it did its first draft in 1936. And before then, it was just exactly what you think. Players just signed up with whatever team they want. The best players went to the best clubs, of course. So they instituted the draft in theory to create competitive balance since the worst teams pick first. That would then allow them, in theory, to secure the best players. But you do have to, at this point, we're now in 2021. I have to think about that now. Uh, We're in 2021. (laughs) Does it actually make things competitive? Is that a good enough reason to strip laborers of their choice of where they get to work? And the one that really gets me and I have a hard time with is like, are there alternatives that would make this thing balanced? Yeah. So like what happened like before this? I know, Shereen, you know a little bit about the NHL and like what would go on before. Yeah, the NHL draft is actually really interesting. It wasn't actually instituted until 1963. The draft was only instituted to try to break away from the monopoly that owners had on the junior teams. And with hockey, junior teams and farm teams are really, really important here. And what they are is like they're literally some people call them farm teams. And particularly in Canadian hockey, you have the OHL, the WHL and the Quebec Major Junior League. And from there stem farm teams and you get kids as young as 14 leaving home and billeting and playing in the juniors and I mean this is problematic for many reasons historically and we can get into that later but so basically what happens is previously the NHL major teams would just claim them based on their farm teams and whatnot and that was really it made an impact because what it did was it took away any type of power or say from the hockey players, from the the kids themselves. And I think what it is, is the first entry draft, which is known as the NHL amateur draft, really started getting popular in 1979 when people started to shift and think about how the system should change up. And then following in the model of the NFL, which in heavily influenced, I think, a lot of sports organizations and, sorry, leagues and United States, it became another spectacle. Like the draft is a very big deal and it crosses borders. I mean, 48% of the NHL is made up of Canadians, Canadian kids from those minors. So it's like, it's very interesting. And the system again is, is quite different. And I think that one of the things that really hit me is how instituted the draft is as a goal like to get to the big leagues like it's like a major goal and a dream for these young kids and it can be I mean you know watching the NWSL draft you all know I'm not super well I'd like to pretend I'm not at all sentimental or anything you know not a softy here not me but I'm sitting here watching like these players these teenagers get drafted and just say like this has been my dream since I was four and especially in women's sports I mean, you know the fact that they've been able to think about playing pros for that long is just so cool um, but like you know the draft is really fun to watch because it's a rare night in sports where every single person person you're just kind of watching their dreams come true like in real time so like as a spectacle it is uh, pretty amazing but does it <laughs> going back to this competitive balance thing though does it Jess like <laughs> is it helping with competitive balance yeah I think we all know the answer and I just want to really quickly Shereen you talking about farm teams in the NHL made me realize that no one gives a shit about the baseball draft and we have one but because we have farm teams and there's a whole other sort of way that people get into baseball, 
it doesn't have that same heft to it, but they still have a draft. So I don't, I don't know what to make of that. But as far as competitiveness, Will Leach has a, a good piece at New York Magazine from 2019. So just remember that because the quote is a, is a timely one for then. Uh, he is arguing about abolishing the drafts that he is for abolishing drafts. And in the piece, he writes, quote, Bad teams are generally bad for long stretches, and good teams find ways to be good essentially every year. 19 teams have drafted first since Tom Brady and the Patriots won their first Super Bowl, and not a single one of them won a Super Bowl after making that pick, right? So this doesn't matter. The Patriots remain on top, and everyone talks all the time, right, about Bill Belichick's ability to bring in the players that will keep them on top. It probably helped that they had Tom Brady, as we can all see now, but still, like, they were able to build a competitive they were able to build the team that wins all the time for a long time leach also pointed out that we should question funneling the best talent to the worst teams often they're the worst teams because of poor management or the inability to maximize the skills of their players so what are we what are we doing to these really good players the joke about trevor lawrence going to the jets and like is that going to just destroy his career because he has no choice but to go where he's put. Uh, and then the other thing that's interesting about it is this idea of competitiveness, that the draft is a lot of the reason that people think that teams tank, right? So we get this like kind of boring, shitty play from certain teams so that they can get the first pick in the draft. And like, what is that doing to competitiveness within the sport? I mean, that was the whole what in the NBA it was like that was the whole thing with like the process for Philly like part of that process was being really bad for multiple years so that you could get high draft picks like that was right. an actual strategy which uh you know seems a bit counterintuitive I don't know <laughs> like it's right. so weird but it's so built into the way we literally like our plans right for our teams um like i'm a panthers fan which i will probably bring up multiple times in this but uh in the nfl and you know this year towards the end of the year like we were not wanting the team to win anymore right like it was like it's already been a lost season like why would you want to win anymore and worsen your draft pick right but i guess this goes back to and i think i mean Shreen, you touched a little bit on this but a lot of the I still have a really hard time grasping, like, what do you do if you don't have a draft? Like, how how do these, these teams, these leagues in Europe and elsewhere, like, go about this? Like, how does that work? Yeah, I think this is a, it's a really great question because I grew up differently. Like, you know, other than the NHL draft, I didn't really pay attention to American football and the like or the, you know, the NBA. So I've always known of the academy systems and development systems. And I'll use uh, proper football and European football as the example for this, which is they invest and they have invested literally billions of dollars like teams collectively particularly in Europe and I'll focus on that as they're very much considered the epicenter of the world although Brenda would disagree heavily <laughs> and say as you know South America is but very much is that they don't have a draft they focus on development and you know leagues and they just they literally put so much of their society and thought and education and planning into this so you've got kids as young as honestly i think leo messi was nine when he started playing with mcdowell's getting into um 
development teams and academies is what they're called proper academies and it relies heavily on these people that are kind of considered scouts to find quote-unquote young talent to foster it now you know what about the kids that develop later all that is not taken into consideration it's literally finding these goal mines and so what ends up happening is you stay with those teams and then you eventually get funneled through those systems into to the team in the league that you're the academy of that you're which and it doesn't mean that they don't have like one-offs or there's people that can come on what are called like fresh walk-on trials people can get invited to trials that are not part of the academy i they're trying to figure out what they want to do in places like southeast asia and and in, in central africa and west africa where there's a lot of phenomenal football but they don't have the same academies there so teams are trying to develop academies and work with former pro players like emmanuel Maganamawit, who is a cameroonian footballer she has like the first academy for girls in Cameroon. And she's trying to link up with, um, you know, European leagues just to sort of expose the players that she's got. So it works in a different way. Swedish hockey does the same thing as soccer does. They do a development team. So it's not only soccer, I just wanted to add that point, that does this academy development system. And also I looked into baseball, which arguably I have no authority on, but I was just very interested in the way that happens. And Jess, you mentioned farm teams, but... For example, academy and leagues, they, the Dominican Republic have academies set up there. And they have something that's very similar is that they have street agents, which are called buscones. I, I think that's the pronunciation. And they basically have people going around scouting young children and taking them. And then I don't like the wording of this, but offering them and selling them to the academies. Potentially. Oh yeah, there's a lot of problem with what goes on around all this stuff. Yeah. None of this is great. This is like just this is part two of like loving sports, like the, the sequel. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just so inherently problematic, in particular when we, we haven't even started talking about exploitation of youth here. Because they're not they're like with hockey, the stipend is like four hundred or nine hundred dollars a month. And they live far away from home. And like, there's just so many things that are broken in the system. And I mean, I know that the idea of the superpower owners and the NFL. Well, I mean, the EPL is owned by a bunch of oligarchs. It's not as if like it's this beautifully democratically run system. It's absolutely not. It's based on capitalism and not almost ownership of the players as much as entitlement to the players, which mm. I think is equally problematic. All these systems are bad, right? Like I think is what we're kind of coming down on. But, you know, focusing in on like drafts in particular, like one of the ways like they're said to be able to help is like, to help small market teams, you know, and as a person who lives in North Carolina, you know, like, I don't know if the Panthers would have ever gotten a Cam Newton if it hadn't been for the draft, you know, like for getting that number one pick. And I mean, Cam Newton will probably always and forever just be one of my favorite sports people and sports memories. So like, what does happen with small market teams? And so the idea with the small market is that they just don't have the money. So if we had an open right. buying, which we don't even have that, right? I think we should say up front, like the, there are all kinds of rules around salary caps and like what teams can spend and all kinds of things, right? That are in theory supposed to also get us to competitive balance. But the idea, I guess, is small market teams wouldn't be able to afford a Cam Newton or they wouldn't be able to convince him to live in North Carolina. Uh, it's interesting because... Uh, Will Leach talked about Mark Normadin's newsletter, which I'm not a baseball person, so I'm not signed up for it. So I couldn't read it, but I will quotes Mark and 
Mark says the small market teams are actually a concept that exists to weaken the negotiating earning power of the players themselves. So like this, this is yet another way that we convince labor that we have to have this draft in order for all of these things to work and that there are other things that we can put in place to make these places lucrative, to create a more competitive playing field. And I just think like listening to all of this, the thing about the draft, right, is that it lessens the overall pay for players as they come into the league. And there was this piece at Vox in 2014 that really drove home this point. And it said, quote, that the draft provides every team with an underpaid player or two. The fact that the very worst teams get some extra gravy as a sideshow compared to the fact that there's some gravy for each owner. And I don't, I mean, even you're right, Lindsay, like could the Panthers have gotten Cam Newton? I don't know, but is that a good enough reason to suppress the pay for all of these people year after year after year after year? And the point is to put money in the pockets of the owners. And so this goes back again to like our whole discussion about ownership. Like, is this ever going to work if there are people who control these teams that aren't the players? Like, are player-owned teams really the only way that laborers get a fair shake in any of this? Whew, yeah. Gosh, I'm just like, this This whole conversation is just kind of making me think so much about all of this and how, like, deeply embedded the corruption is and how much like we just kind of accept it like as is in like all of these sports and I mean look this is something that a huge part of this right is the racial component right is you have predominantly white owners I mean especially when we're talking NFL and NBA here but you know predominant I mean all but one of the NBA owners is white and I think all Um, There are no black owners in the NFL and, you know, they're trading and drafting and quote unquote owning, you know, the contracts of players who are predominantly black. And it is very, very um, awful. (laughs) Like, it's you know, when you really think about it. But I just once again, like the draft then becomes another tool of manipulation for owners. Like I keep... You know, the top, I talked a little bit about the James Harden trade this week between Houston and the Brooklyn Nets and then all these other teams. And what it, you know, came down to was like a lot of draft picks, right? Like draft picks are just kind of like the root of all of these transactions that like we have in sports that make it more so that the owners are owning, you know, there's there's no difference really made in these assessments between trading a pick right like this theoretical thing versus a player right and it just the whole thing is just um that's it Lindsay that's interesting because when you say that that makes me think I do think that this is about money right like that you get a bigger player you get more people in the stands like there's a way that this translates into just getting money but at the same time there's a part of me that hears what you're saying and they think they're going to be a better team, right? So as much as this is where I find it difficult because, like, we can quote the stats on competitiveness and whether or not this actually works, but I do think these teams believe that they can do something about their competitiveness with these draft picks, right? So it is kind of – it is complicated in in the idea that this is shit for labor. I mean, I I think that's true, and it it is – 
even difficult to make the competitiveness argument in some ways, but I also think they do genuinely believe that this will affect their ability to be good on the quarter on the field to the point where they do these huge trades, like you said. I mean, we're talking years out. So they believe it, even if it's also a suppression technique for keeping labor in its place. Right. Okay, so there's just like a couple of like, tangents here that I think are important. Number one is like Shireen, you know, we're talking about using them as trade picks. Like the NFL has also used draft picks as like punishment for Spygate stuff and the Tom Brady Deflategate. Like they took away draft picks from the Patriots. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like a way to punish, but also like Shireen, you found this thing that they were trying to like make the league more diverse through draft incentives. Yeah, this is this is great. I went down a rabbit hole, a couple of rabbit holes. And this is the thing that when we think about sports, this is not necessarily, Lindsay, as you said, that we, we just take this process for granted, that this is the way it goes. Are we really examining and interrogating what is happening? So in this rabbit hole, I found myself again at American football. And the NFL, which is not you know really the stalwart of light and happiness and modeling anything, really. So basically what it breaks down to like this was something that was proposed recently like spring late spring of 2020 and um so according to jim trotter of the nfl uh network so there's a couple of resolutions that they had at a meeting to try when i say they i mean goodell was presenting this idea so under this proposal and i'm reading from this piece a team that hires a minority head coach would move up six spots in the third round of the following year's draft and hiring a minority for the top personnel job would create a 10 spot improvement and ostensibly a team that hired a minority coach and a GM would see their third round pick improved by 16 slots in draft order. So like that's making me think about why and when and Lindsay you're talking about ownership Shahid Khan is the only one and he owns the Jacksonville Jags the only non-white owner and the language around all of this is, is gross absolutely but also just like this idea of will dangle this carrot in front of you if you can just hire. And I hate the language minority. I hate that word. I think racialize is a better way to do it. But again, this is the word. These are the words that the NFL uses. And again, we're not going to go to the NFL for like proper vernacular. So just this whole idea about here, if you do this, we'll give you more picks. It's just so bizarre to me that it would be the type of idea of proper inclusion of racialized folks would be used as a bargaining tool here. And it's so, and like Lindsay said, it's so gross to, that is, there's something here. Let me see if I can get this right. So you're going to use the draft picks to incentivize people to finally hire racialized people to be in control their teams. But like the draft itself is so fucked. And then on top of that, like we were doing pre-production and Martin reminded us about the combine, which made sense when it first started, right? In 1982, The idea was like, you do have to have some kind of evaluation, right? You want to see the players. They were flying them to all the different teams. They were like, hey, we should get everyone together. Let's do this in one place. But it's now become this like really gross spectacle. It was first put on television in 2004. But even until 2007, only personnel could be there. But now fans are in the stands and they're broadcasting on television. And it feels really gross, this kind of measurement of mainly black bodies in order to (laughs) sell them to owners. I, I am not the, there are lots of people who have, 
made this point over and over again. But when you put all of those things together, like what Shereen was just talking about, what we've been talking about with what the draft is doing with labor, and then you think about how we've even now created this entire TV spectacle around the combine, that should sit badly with people. Like you should feel gross when you really put all those things together. But it's it's so accepted. Like, um, Jess, I know you were listening to Jackie McMullen on Ryan Rosillo's podcast, right? Like talk about this with Kyrie well, Irving. So I will tell you this. One of the, con- I was thinking about all the conversations I've had with Kyrie through the years. One of them I had, I don't know, two years ago, we got into an argument about, you know, something. And he's like, well, there shouldn't be an NBA draft. Players should be able to go wherever they want to go. We're not, you know, someone's property. And I'm like, yeah, you are, dude. That's the way it works. That's why you get paid all these millions. <laughs> That's really hard to listen to. I mean, that's not why they get paid all the millions because they're someone's property. They get paid all the millions because people pay millions of dollars to watch them do superhuman things that are fun and amazing. And this is hard. It's hard to think about a a white woman saying this to a black man who is the laborer and is making a case for himself and for his colleagues. Um, it stings too because we all know that there's a kernel of truth in what she's saying not the part about the millions but like sorry dude this is just how the system works Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. that like there's a kernel of truth to that because like you said Lindsay, we all just kind of are like oh this is just how things go um i don't it makes my skin crawl though listening to it i just can't even imagine I don't like we don't know really what the conversation with Kyrie was like, right? This is her interpretation of it years later. But even it's a bummer. Jackie McMullen is <laughs> I like her, but shit, what do you do with that? That's a really Yeah. I mean it's, that's it's like... hard to think about someone in the media like that that is how they themselves accept the system. As we know that they're the ones reporting on it. Um man. Right. And like players can be entitled assholes at times right like we all know that like that's just part of it right like players like men's leagues women's leagues white black like all of these players can be you know like entitled assholes at times and treat you know fans poorly or their teammates poorly and that's and but that's just like part of it right like that's kind of like part of it and that doesn't mean they're property right or like that they're out of line like they're not property like owners own the contracts not the people Right, right. But then the way we, even the way the fans imagine these players is often as their property, right? Like people are really mad at Kyrie right now for not wanting to play basketball as if they're entitled to watching him play. And we saw that all with the summer and the wildcat strikes and all all of those things that this sort of, it's just gross. Like when you do, when these moments, when you hear Jackie McMullen say it and you're like, oh God, I can't even imagine saying that to Kyrie. But also this is true that people think that that is true. And that's what's fucked up. These ideas of loyalty and that plays into it. Like this is a business. And I mean, we, that's why we're so moved and I'm invigorated by labor solidarity movements within sports leagues because there's a protection and sure the players can be assholes quote unquote but it's their bodies that are being used I'm a big advocate for players being way more assholes than owners or everyone else like the conversations I have with my 16 year old he's like well James Harden snaked the team he shouldn't have done that I'm like James Harden doesn't know anybody's shit 
Like, James already heard and can do what he wants. And as far as I'm concerned, like, go and, like, open up, like, you know, a bistro in Brooklyn. Like, do it to the max. Be the extra. Like, do you. Because I just don't ever think, and, and, and maybe I'm wrong about this, that athletes will ever be recognized or compensated fully in the way they believe, not while there's an ownership system or draft system like this to begin with. I think that's very, right. the, very... The system exists exactly for that, Shereen, to make yeah. sure they don't get paid what they actually deserve. That's why it all exists the way it does. God, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's it, right? That's ultimately it. Um, I do want to quickly bring us back around. I think I could talk about this for 10 more episodes. Um, but to where we started the NWSL and like, I think of all the leagues that we have in the United States right now, like the NWSL is the most suited to be pressured to get rid of the draft. Um, it does have to compete with foreign leagues for players during like the same season. These players want to go, you know, abroad where they can potentially earn more money and have more decision power over where they're signing. And, you know, the WNBA, since it's on a different season than most of the overseas teams, it doesn't have quite that same pressure yet. And then, you know, the NBA and the NFL, you're going to make more money, you know, ultimately, bottom line, than if you go overseas usually. So the best players still have financial incentives to deal with the draft system and deal with all that. But what would the NWSL look like if it got rid of the draft? Like, what does what do we see there? And like, I don't know. What does the MLS do, Jess? The MLS, it's, this is like the most ridiculous draft ever. It's so... <laughs> funny because men's soccer is such a powerhouse around the world all over the place so the idea that like the one place that they do a draft is in the U.S. it's just failing over and over again it doesn't really have a point so there was a goal.com article last year that had this amazing stat in it so stick with me here it said quote of the 24 players selected in the first round of the 2019 MLS draft just nine made at least five MLS appearances. The top five picks of the 2018 draft, meanwhile, have made just 74 career appearances between them. So the quote-unquote best players going in the MLS draft, that's not even true, right? They're just signing on the best players. The best players in the MLS are signed on on contracts. It just doesn't make any sense in a global sport, especially men's soccer, to to have this like weird, archaic, U.S.-centered thing it's, it's clearly not working they should just not have one yeah so it's like either the nwsl draft ends up going kind of that way of being just like kind of completely irrelevant or we get rid of it altogether. which shireen like by looking at like overseas like like what do you think that would look like i i mean what it looks like in other places i don't know because the american system is so built around this idea of draft. It's this performative, it's theatrical, it's like, it's so embedded in how do we keep this house standing if we take away one of the pillars? I mean, that's just how it is. And I hate that this this conversation of, well, that's just how it is. I don't think that's critical. I don't think that's, we need to start coming up with ideas and whether it's on like organizational, like unionizing, organizational movement, labor solidarity, I mean, there's a lot of advocacy that needs to happen, particularly for racialized players and like marginalized players. We need to have people show up for queer players because there's like, what, so few, if any, in NHL or the NFL. And all of this to me is, 
it all comes back to how much money, but whatever system we use, we have to keep in mind, owners get money. It's not as in like non-draft systems, the owners don't get money. So really it's like the entire thing is bullshit. You should just so, burn it all down? Is that what you're saying, Shereen Ahmed? Literally getting to that. <laughs> burn the whole thing down. Burn. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we could go on and on and on, but I'm gonna pivot this here because we do have an actual burn pile to get to um but first want to look ahead at our interview which is coming out on thursday in the interview shireen chats with uh chanel keenan about her hockey ambassadorship fandom and her hopes for a better hockey community and uh, there might be a mention of the kraken so when i got the the title i guess confirmation i myself was like intersectionality consultant like what is what does that even entail and to me it it means every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts you just need indeed don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with indeed hate waiting indeed's us data shows over 80 percent of indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So many different things, but the biggest thing that I take away from it is just being a disabled body in this space, period. Added on the fact that I'm a woman, added on the fact that I'm a woman of color, like all these things that, you know, the title means whatever it means to whoever made it up for me, basically. But to me, it's just being such a different person in this space. And luckily with the crack and like, I'll look at my screen and I will see somebody that looks like me. Maybe not like the disabled part, but like, I will see another woman. I'll see another Asian woman there. And I'll be like, okay, like I don't feel so small. You know, and I think that that's so important. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? This is Shireen, and I have struggled with anxiety and depression in the past. I've often turned to counseling and therapy to help me through. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. And there's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. But this service is available for clients worldwide. Flamethrowers, wherever you are, BetterHelp can help you. You can log in to your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy, which may not even be possible in a pandemic anyway. 
BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read testimonials that are posted there daily. Visit betterhelp.com burn, that's better H-E-L-P, and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they have started recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Special offer for Burn It All Down listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com burn. That's betterhelp.com slash B-U-R-N. All right, Jess, want to get us started with the burn pile? Sure. So this week, the Jacksonville Jaguars announced they were hiring twice retired for health reasons. So he says former college football coach Urban Meyer to be their head coach. There's plenty to say about Meyer's time as a head coach in college ball. His most famous and lucrative high-profile stints were at Florida, where he won two national championships, and Ohio State, where he won an additional national championship. Meyer, while at UF, retired from coaching in December 2009, saying he had a medical scare. He returned mere months later, but then left Florida in December of 2010, saying he wanted to spend more time with his family. He also happened to have had his worst year at Florida. During his six years at UF, Myers players were arrested more than 30 times. I think in particular, there will always be questions about Aaron Hernandez's time in Gainesville. There were also issues with his coaching staff at UF that carried through to Ohio State. In August 2018, Ohio State put Meyer on administrative leave as it investigated whether he knew that the wife of his assistant coach, Zach Smith, had reported Smith for domestic abuse. Turns out, he did know. And it turns out, in 2009, while Smith was Meyer's assistant coach in Florida, Smith was arrested for throwing his pregnant wife into a wall. As everything came to light publicly about Smith in 2018, Meyer lied about what he knew and when he knew it. He was ultimately suspended for three whole games by the school and eventually retired again at the end of the 2018 season, again saying it was for health reasons. And now, because he can win football games, and despite all that other stuff I just laid out, he's a head coach again failing up to the professional ranks. Cool. Cool. The announcement of Meyer's hiring came with an additional sting. Literally the day, literally the day that Jacksonville announced that they had hired Meyer, USA Today's Nancy Armour, Mike Freeman, and Tom Shad published a piece looking, how, looking at how each NFL team does hiring black and brown head coaches and general managers. Four teams, four teams, the Cardinals, Browns, Raiders, and Buccaneers are responsible for a third of the hiring of black and brown coaches and GMs over the last 30 years. Four teams, a third of them. The Jaguars, on the other hand, are on the disgraceful list of teams that have never had a person of color as either their head coach or general manager. That list also includes the Atlanta Falcons, Dallas Cowboys, Los Angeles Rams, New England Patriots, New Orleans Saints, and the Tennessee Titans. And when the Jags went out to find a head coach, they found the very white Urban Meyer, who has an, at best, questionable past when it comes to making choices for the good of his players or his community. What a fucking bummer all around. I just want to burn this predictable and predictably disappointing shit. So, burn. Burn. Shireen? Again, 
We're in a pandemic, okay? Something, something, college football, yay, American college football. Somebody won something. It was a big deal. Apparently, um, Alabama won this big thing, and Nick Saban won his seventh championship, yada, yada, yada. I'm just going to read you a little piece a bit of Shannon Ryan's piece uh, from the Tribune. And before I even do that, I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine seas of people shoulder to shoulder in that, in celebration, unmasked, celebrating joyously. Now think about that with a deadly virus, which is happening. So that's basically what resulted from this Alabama and congratulations to everybody in Alabama I'm so happy for you that you're happy but I'm also very happy that you'd stay in your house and party there which is absolutely necessary right now so this is from Shannon Ryan's piece but if we're going to celebrate the college football playoff championship game we can't forget what's been left in the wake of the 2020 season. More than 100 games were canceled because of COVID-19 protocols. Hundreds of players, coaches, and staff members were infected with the virus that has unknown long-term effects. Contract tracing beyond the football world is limited and under-resourced, leaving questions about how infected players could potentially spread the virus outside their locker rooms or how sports-inspired, unsafe get-togethers for viewing parties. Epidemiologists must have cringed watching the videos of fans flooding the Tuscaloosa streets to celebrate Alabama's victory. I'd imagine most who lost a loved one to COVID were furious or hurt by that scene. The United States has averaged 247,200 COVID-19 cases a day over the last week, which was an all-time high. More than 376,000 Americans have died so far. Yet, college football continued to muddy the public health messaging on Monday night, a consistency throughout the season. No, not by playing, but by the oversimplified, lazy cliches by analysts. So all of this that she so perfectly said, everything about this was problematic. The danger to public, the oversimplification. We know that COVID is disproportionately affecting racialized communities, and I hate all of it. Burn. 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 On that note, um, I'll go. I was going to burn Cleet Keller, the U.S. Olympian, who was part of the insurrection um, in the Capitol, who was a swimmer, who um, was discovered because he wore a U.S. Olympic team jacket to the insurrection, which is just... Um, mind-boggling and you know I of course am burning that but um, I had to change um, at the last minute here on Friday night Carl Anthony Towns a player for the Minnesota Timberwolves released a note saying that he had tested positive for COVID and that he was going to immediately isolate and follow every protocol this was especially gut-wrenching because Towns lost his mother at the begin to COVID at the beginning of the pandemic and has been open about having a really hard time returning to the court, caring about basketball at all, um, doing any of this, right? The fact that we're doing any of this. Um, his letter um, or statement announcing this said, um, it breaks my heart that my family and particularly my father and sister continue to suffer from the anxiety that comes along with this diagnosis. As we know all too well what the end result could be. 
to my niece and nephew, Jolani and Max. I promise you, I will not end up in a box next to grandma and I will beat this. Meanwhile, the NBA continues to play on. I don't know what we're doing here. I just don't know. I don't know how the NBA or any indoor sports, basketball on the collegiate level, the pro level, anything is continuing to do this. Everything needs to stop. And it needs to stop yesterday. I do not give a shit about your television contract. I do not give a shit about players' legacies and what fans want to see right now. Somebody needs to be the adult in the room and stop this madness. It's it's inconceivable what Towns is going through. It's inconceivable that a season continues, that an NBA season continues, that it's not even just pausing for this. It's even more conceivable that people like Charles Barkley are going on national television and saying the NBA and NFL players should get to the front of the vaccine line because they pay more taxes. All of this is just... All of the way that the United States has handled COVID is one of the most embarrassing and devastating things I think in the history and it sucks that we're here but these individual leagues or conferences need to step up and talking about player welfare you cannot say you give a shit about safety and at the same time read a note like Carl Anthony Towns and then continue your season without adjustment I just want to burn the fact that um, people act like sports and athletes are tougher than a pandemic and that a pandemic is something you can outmuscle or outshine or be distracted from. Carl, Anthony, we are, um, you're in our thoughts and prayers, you and your entire family and anyone who has lost someone um, to COVID. And for all those trying to pretend like this isn't happening, burn. 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 All right, it is time to actually talk about some positives and look at the torchbearers of the week. But first, before we celebrate these incredible people, the Burn All Down team wants to offer our sincerest condolences to the entire rowing community, especially the family of three-time gold medalist, Canadian oarswoman Kathleen Heddle. Heddle died last week after a six-year battle with cancer. Also um, want to send our love to the family and friends of Tom Parada, the Wall Street Journal writer and reporter who mainly covered tennis and was just a great friend to tennis, especially women's tennis and the entire tennis community. Um, he passed away due to brain cancer. And uh, we're just thinking about all of you and so appreciative for the work that Tom did. All right, for our torch bearers, um, Shireen, who is our rink leader of the week? Rink leader of the week is 34-year-old Haley Moore, who is currently the general manager of the NWHL's 
Boston Pride. She's been hired as the Vice President of Hockey Operations for the AHL, American Hockey League, making her one of the highest ranking female hockey executives in North America. Love it. Um, Our Wizard of the Week is Amber Nichols, who became the NBA G League's second female general manager because the Washington Wizards named her the GM of their G League team, the Capital City Go-Go. Congratulations, Amber. Jess, who was our Snow Warrior of the Week? Jesse Diggins became the first non-European to win cross-country skiing's Tour de Ski title. The Tour de Ski is an annual series of eight World Cup races in 10 days. After she finished the final event where she took second but first across the combined event, she tried to raise her arms before she fell face first into the snow. Congratulations to Jesse Diggins. Shereen, I love being able to give this one to you. Who is our American football hero of the week? (laughs) Yes, as I am the American football wizard, uh, American football hero of the week is going to Robert Saleh, who was named the new head coach of the New York Jets, making him the first Muslim head coach in the NFL ever. Love that. And can I get a drum roll, please? Our torchbearer of the week, oh, I'm so excited about this one, is dear friend and guest of the show, Nicole Auerbach. She is a college football reporter for The Athletic, and she was named the National Sports Writer of the Year by the National Sports Media Association. Get this, at 31 years old, she is the youngest writer to win the award in the organization's 61-year history. Wow. And... The first woman to ever win it. <laughs> yeah, what? It's amazing. Congrats, wow. Nicole. We love you. We Yay. love you so much, Nicole. Nicole, your reporting has always been cherished here at Burn It All Down, and especially the work you did this year on COVID. But it's so great to see you getting the recognition that you deserve on a national scale. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's just incredible. All right. On that note, what's good, Shireen? Guess what, friends? It's birthday week! Um, <laughs> she's still wearing her party I'm tiara. I love in it. In case you were listening last week, she's still wearing it. I'm wondering to go and get a more intensely bejeweled crown. I think I will. I've planned out, I've instructed my children what I want. I want them to perform a rousing lip sync performance to a Stan Rogers song. So I think we will, that's what I want. Um, I got a beautiful calendar from friend of the show and my dear Courtney Sito and close friend, Dr. Shobana Xavier. They're professors at Queens University and it's like our faces for every month of the year and it is so much fun. <laughs> I've also, uh, I wanted to keep this one on the down low, but now I will um, disclose I have joined Peloton and I downloaded the app. Look at Lindsay's face. I have been supported immensely through this time hey, through by an- <laughs> Look at Martins, and I am having a great time. I've been doing stretching. I'm listening to sleep meditation. I'm doing yoga with Chelsea. It is hard, and I just have, you know, yoga is not actually something I've ever done because I was always exposed to it from like white women doing yoga, and then something about goats. I'm like, I can't be in this space. But having racialized women do yoga is a really beautiful thing for me and really empowering and it's like I said it's really hard so I need that I've missed soccer I feel like I want to cry every time I talk about this I haven't played soccer in almost 10 months and that really hurts it's really hard for me it's the longest I think 
without a hijab ban that have ever actually been away from the field. Even that includes being pregnant. Um, like I used to nurse on the sidelines. Like it, it's really not easy. So I'm trying to find and Peloton is lovely. There are hashtags for everything. And so I'm kind of into that. So my name, if you're on Peloton, is Shireeny, S-H-I-R-E-E-N-Y. And Amir has been very wonderful and supportive. And she's over the moon. And it's it's been a lot of fun. And this is what I need. I need to take ownership in this year. And, you know, I need to take ownership in different ways. And maybe trying new sports things and, like, working out in front of a TV was never my preferred method. But we're, we are where we are. And I'm going to try this. Amazing. Jess? Yeah. So, obviously, what's good is Shreen's birthday. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just wanted to spend this time to give a shout out to uh, electric blankets and heating pads. <laughs> That's what's good for me right now. It's cold enough at night every night that having an electric blanket is great. And I, I know that this is not just me. Lots of people are having weird body reactions to just the level of stress and fear that people are feeling in this moment. But I definitely had this like weird not like under my shoulder blade kind of thing and it was pulling on my neck and the, and like the only thing that was helping was sitting on a heating pad and I was just really happy to have this artificial form of heat production that I could just apply directly to my back for it took about four days for me to really work through that so I that was definitely what was good for me this week amazing um what's good um i've been getting out for walks even in the cold with mo i went on a good walk with my aunt yesterday and it ended up snowing in the middle of our walk like out of nowhere and it was kind of nice because it was like we would never would have planned this like if we thought it was going to snow we wouldn't have gone um but it ended up being like really beautiful and so that's been good um you all be listening to this on tuesday where this comes out on tuesday we're recording this on sunday and this week I'm terrified for what's going to happen this week or what might happen this week in the United States, um, especially in D.C., which most of you know I lived in until just like two months ago. It's just uh, D.C. is is a militarized state right now, and I'm so scared for everyone. At the same time, I am hopefully this week will also be a new beginning for you know if we can get through it safely and for sure a reason to celebrate and i'm trying to focus on that right now because january 20th i think 2021 has long been a day many of us have circled in our calendars as hopefully a day of hope a day of what's good and um if everyone can be safe um which of course is a big if then you know it's weird to say it's something i'm looking forward to but it's also i feel like It is, you know, I mean, it's hopefully going to be the end of an ugly chapter. And we know that healing doesn't begin overnight. And we know that we have a long, 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 long way to go. I don't want to act like we're going to wake up Thursday morning and, you know, and everything is going to be fine. But at the same time, I think um, hopefully we will all be able to exhale. And that's what's good. All right, friends, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Burn It All Down. Um... If you want to give us a review, a rating and review is a really nice thing you could do for us right now Um, over on Apple Podcasts. It means so much and it really helps us continue to grow our podcast. Um, We're also over at Patreon, patreon.com slash burn it all down, where for as little as $2 a month, you can get some extra um, segment 
and some special behind the scenes features. And, you know, on all social media platforms, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Insta, and we have our, we have our website, burnitalldownpod.com. As Brenda always says, burn on, but not out. And take care of yourself this week, friends. And I saw you up and I spent you up.